Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Thank you. Number one, before everything, gratitude. Thank you for tuning in live, those of you who are listening live, and later, those who will listen on podcast, um, please, those listening live, share it with your friends. Thank you for taking the time, for doing what may feel these days uncomfortable. Indeed, truly, spiritually, emotionally, politically challenging. You're listening in. You're trying. You're checking in with your friends around the world and most importantly, your beloved family in Eretz Israel. The family that is together like never before, keeping the home fires burning and keeping the people of Israel and indeed Jews around the world safer this morning. I have pages of notes. Each week I have pages of notes. 15 pages, 20 pages, things we must get to, we have to talk about. And yet, it's what I write in the margins, the questions I have for both you and myself, for Jews and non-Jewish friends. Those are the ones that generally hijack this program. Before we get into the text, I do want to say good morning, good evening to those listening in live from the United States, Canada. Is with us this morning, Australia, Ghana, St. Lucia. That's very nice. I don't think I've seen you here before. Stick with us. South Africa, thank you. My second home. Belgium is with us. Nigeria and Jamaica. Over a hundred years ago, many of us, and I certainly can speak for those in, I believe, the Jews listening in in Canada and the United States, maybe in South, South America, places in Europe, as the pogroms were getting more and more violent and vicious, and the writing was on the walls of Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe, well over a hundred years ago. My people, your people, did something very, very difficult. But they behaved like Jews. They saw the writing on the wall, the fires, the rapes, the pillaging, the destroying, the goals of eradicating any vestige of Jewish life and Jewish history from the hallowed halls of Eastern European yeshivot. And they picked up and they said goodbye to their families, to those who couldn't come, who wouldn't come, who dreamed of a better day tomorrow in Olam HaGoyim, the world of the others. And these brave individuals, my grandparents, 
on one side and great-great-grandparents on another side said goodbye forever. Forever. There was no internet. There were no techn- uh, there was no technology, high-speed phone lines. Forever was forever. But somehow in their bellies, in their guts, they knew that if there was to be a Jewish tomorrow, they would have to pursue it. The modern country of Israel did not exist. And so they landed in Ellis Island, or they went to Bogota, Colombia, or they went to Toronto. And Jewish life continued. I'm talking to you, to my friends who have written to me over the last two weeks with loving, I do not dispute the loving intent behind the platitudes of stay strong, Israel, never again. Am Yisrael Chai. And we're praying for you. And I say something now to my Jewish brothers and sisters who have not yet moved to Israel. I say to you, thank you. I'm praying for you. This morning, oh, I'm supposed to say the date. I think it's today the 26th, Thursday morning, October 26th, 2023, on the Gregorian calendar. Today, the world is a very, very dangerous place for Jews. On this 20th day of the war, I would not want to be a Jew living in New York or in California or in Boston, Massachusetts, certainly not in England, anywhere. Because when you storm, when those intellectual midgets, when those who are spiritually dwarfed storm the library at Cooper Union, bastion of of liberalness, is liberalness, liberality, liberal thought, Columbia University, Harvard, NYU, when they march outside, when hundreds of thousands of those who wish you dead, not gone, not quiet, dead, your offspring no longer a pipe dream, And not only can the police not protect you, they don't even try. I pray for you. This morning on day 20 of the war, October 26, 2023, the safest place in the world, the safest corner on the planet to be a Jew is the besieged 
land of Israel. And I will add, by far. So first of all, I say, kolakavod, kolakavod, kolakavod. All due respect for you for listening into this program and other programs on Israel News Talk Radio. There are other channels, other organs of good, accurate media. If I tell you that this entire week I have been fielding calls from friends saying to me, what do I say? What do I know? What do I read? Good. No. K-N-O-W. But to hide our heads in the sand and unlike our blessed recent ancestors who got up and moved, got up and picked up, got up and ran in order to leave a legacy for their children. A legacy of non-cowardice. A legacy of running into the unknown with open arms. So that stories could be told around future Seder tables about the bravery and the foresight of those of us called parents and grandparents who were charged with setting an example for those who come after us. I struggled. I struggled for years with those who said to me, I'd love to make Aliyah. We want to make Aliyah, but we can't make a living. But we can't leave my elderly mother, my elderly father, my disabled sister behind. Some things are hard. Very difficult. Soul-wrenching with conclusions that never bring peace. That game is called life. If you are a Jew living in the Galut this morning, having your cup of coffee, looking at your beautiful backyard, Wondering when the Christmas sales will begin. I'm begging you, ask yourself, for what purpose were you born into this reviled, brilliant, world course changing nation. I promise you, if you carry a Jewish pedigree, your existence in this world is not an accident. It was not a crashing of the stars and the melding of the planets. And you could have been an Irish Catholic living in Sligo 
or living in Nigeria, a convert to Christianity, or a New Hampshire Unitarian. They know who you are. I asked the question last week, do you? And if not, are you brave enough starting today to find out? And if you're wondering why, why are these Jews filling my feed? Why are they constantly talking about, okay, there's a war. 90 years ago, 90, 150, 125, 190 years ago, people said nothing. They rang their, they, they, they rang their hands and hoped it would be okay. The hope method of Jewish existence. Ah. Look who's joined us. Also, the brave people of the Congo have li- are listening in this morning. It's called the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Iran. The Islamic Republic of Iran. Wawi Kazawi. And Buenos Dias, Mexico, is listening in. We call it as they come in. They said nothing. They said nothing. What is that saying? I don't have it in front of me. The only thing that evil needs to exist is for good people to say nothing. Turn the page. Do a crossword puzzle. It was Martin Luther King, a great friend of Israel who said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And this is why I ask this morning, for what purpose were you born? And that is a question asked of everyone, everyone listening in. If it was to live the best life possible, to make as few waves as possible, and to one day, after 120 years, stand in front of the gates of heaven and say, whoa boy, I hope you're pleased, God. I made no noise. I left no footprint. I didn't rile my neighbors. I never came down on the side of good or evil. I expressed no opinions. Then for what were you created? B'Tselem Elohim in God's image. The world was created for you and you and you. And did you make it 
gorgeous. Ah, Egypt has also joined us this morning. Good morning, Egypt and Malaysia. Mm. Shaking, forgive me. Forgive me if it sounds shaky. Damn, we used to have fun, didn't we? We will. The days for fun. They're there. But now we have an obligation, everyone listening in, to take a moment to find your book of Psalms and begin reading through. To say a prayer in whatever language it is that you pray and pray for the healthy existence and the beauty and the continuation of Israel. There's some of the nitty gritty we don't really want to get into. I know the only way that I can personally function is to check the news once a day and I don't look at the pictures and I shut my ears to the best of my ability with the exception of what I must know for the sake of this program to the increasingly virulent and strident cries of those who would destroy us. Because it's much more important than the voices and the cries and the raison d'etre of those venomous peons is God's promise. God's word. That Israel and the Jewish people will always be. So for me to fall into a funk and allow the naysayers to create my narrative, oh, don't do it, boys and girls, don't do it, don't do it. But know your stuff. There was an interview this morning, just to share with you, no pictures, no graphics, and I'll go through it quickly. There was a, this was brought to my attention by my dearest friend, P period D period. That's all we'll say. I know you're out there, babe, listening. And she described a radio interview with the manager of the Institute of Forensic Medicine. Okay. I don't know if it's Abu Kabir. There's another institute. But the situation right now, we're down to. 400 pieces of bodies. That's right. No more bodies. 400 pieces which belong to 400 individual people. To identify these people is going to be very difficult. Probably impossible. Why? Because their entire families were slain. There's nobody to take the DNA samples from. They won't be able to get a proper burial. Their friends... Relatives won't be able to visit a grave and to mourn property. Bodies, couples, parents, children. Tied together with rope and burned alive. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Which hum humanitarian help to Gaza are you hoping for? Humanity and Gaza? are two words that don't exist together 
on anyone's page. What humanity are you talking about? I didn't know Noah. I don't know Noah Tishbe. Apparently, everybody who's rooted in Israel knows Noah Tishbe. I really should be more involved with the Israeli media. I'm not. I'm actually not involved with that much media, period. Oh, man, is she easy? She's a beautiful, beautiful woman, and she is an actress. Apparently, my husband, who is very appreciative of an attractive woman, told me she's a, a wonderful actress. She is an author. She's a producer. She's the former special envoy for combating anti-Semitism and delegitimization de of Israel. Nice. You know what she is? She's a mom. She gave a talk recently to the friends of the IDF. I happen to have seen this talk. You know, you can only imagine what's coming into my feed. And um, she... She said it so beautifully. She talks about the predictability. We knew it's coming. Oh, yeah, we were caught off guard. And man, oh, man, as the cab driver in Rome asked me, how could Israel not have known? Israel is known to be fill in the blanks. And my answer to him was the same answer I gave you this morning. These are questions that Israel will not hide from. But today is not the day. And Noah Tishbe reminds us that we are the ones, we warned of the dangers of radical Islam, or more accurately, the radical Islamic Nazism that's constantly lurking at our borders. We've warned, we've warned you of your Western, your Western civilization through your universities, your media, your social media. We warned what the phrase from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, really looks like. It means itbach al-Yahud, slaughter the Jews. And lest you, I'm off script now, lest any of you think that demonizing Israel is not progressive, it's not peaceful, and it will not free any Arab from Arab tyranny. It's a modern-day blood libel. Three and a half thousand years. I, I, I think the show is done. I think that I have finished taking all of my notes on Wednesday night and I go over my notes and suddenly I open up the paper and I see Cooper Union barricading. And where were the cops? Eleven Jewish students barricaded in the glass-walled library at Cooper Union. The demonstrators carrying, of course, Palestinian flags and signs that said Zionism hands off our university had scheduled a 1 p.m. demonstration outside the 7 East 7th Street building when they decided to move into the interior. Where were the cops? Where were the student security force? Where were they? They were nowhere. 
what was it? It was Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg who said in one of his, from Boca Raton, said in one of his recent talks, I think it was on Parshas Noah, on the, the story of Noah, and he was talking, and he said it. He said it, and I'm saying it now. Any parent who sends their child to Harvard University has to be a moron. A moron. A self-deluding at best. But Jewishly feeble moron. And where was the president? Where the, the president of Cooper Union. I'm looking at this. She, uh, she, she ran out. She ran out of sight of the building. President Sparks, Laura Sparks, I think is her name. Um, she allegedly opted for herself upon hearing that the protesters were coming her way. They were scared. The president was so scared that she left the building. This is the quote. Uh, then the police should have been called. Why would they leave the students in the building without police protective when the president of the school, who was also targeted, left herself? Cooper Union. Hope my friend Eddie's listening in. Columbia University. Lesbian group. Disinvites Zionists from movie night. Well, you know the whole thing. The Free Palestine over here. Zionists aren't included. <sighs> Holocaust wasn't special. A fellow student. This was, I don't even want to give her credit. <laughs> Do you know what would happen to you intellectual lesbians? Should those who you are marching for the freedom for get to take over? Ta-ta. Ta-ta. You will have wished that more Israeli Zionists had come to your defense. And I love this quote. It's bewildering that someone as disturbingly ignorant as this nameless person is admitted to the top-tier university. Yeah, get your kids to apply to Columbia, because these will be their classmates this past week. David Weinberg. And if you want his articles and you don't can't access it, anything I'm saying, if you want the sources, write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy to get your mail. And I will send you the links to anything that I quote. David Weinberg. Um... I don't know, is the world celebrating David M. Weinberg? They should be. He wrote an article with a very simple uh, title, Neutrality is Complicity. Take a minute, put that in your pipe, and take a puff. Neutrality is Complicity. And his article goes on to go begins by saying, after the Nazi era, like rape, mutilation, and pillaging of 1,400 Israeli Jews in one day by Hamas two weeks ago, this is what Cambridge University had to say. Breathe easy. We're always available to provide emotional support. Professor Kamal Manir pro-vice-chancellor for university community and engagement of that venerated, this is still quote, venerated, celebrated beacon of integrity and intellectual status, the University of Cambridge wrote to all staff, quote, our thoughts are with everyone affected by the recent events in Israel, Gaza, and the Middle East. Hmm, still puffing on that pipe, friends? Not a word, not a word, not one word about the mass slaughter of Jews by Arab Islamic extremists. Not one murder of discomfort, just 
thoughts of emotional cuddling for everyone affected by the unnamed recent events in the Middle East. And again, I go off script and I say to you, my Jewish friends, living in West Hempstead, living in the five towns, living in Muncie, living in Los Angeles. Is it David Weinberg's job to free you up and say, whoa, he wrote it. I'm sure they're getting the les- their lessons. Tomorrow will be a good day. Let me send my child out to school. In England, send your child out to school? Without his Jewish star, without his high, without a kippah, without ritual fringes, and still know that he can be a victim of a game called Punch the Jew? They collect money for it. One good punch that draws blood gets a certain amount. And another good punch that breaks a nose, I think you get the whole pot. Are you a parent? Israel has minimally, over the years, put out eight far-reaching compromise proposals for peace on the diplomatic table that intimately, intricately involve Gaza in the last 20 years. Ask how many they came and thought about and mulled over and considered. For decades, Israel has fed the Arabs of Gaza giving them tens of thousands of tons of fuel, water, food, electricity, and Parnassa offered them opportunities that they did not give themselves to work in Israel. What was their Arab response? Slaughter. Bloodshed, destruction, and indeed self immolation. All of you listening in, now is the time. Now is the time for you to speak up. Maybe you're frightened, but don't claim I don't know how. The poison of the internet can be balanced with the blessings of the internet. If your pastor or your priest or your rabbi or your imam does not mention Israel and what we are enduring from the pulpit this coming Shabbat or this coming Sunday. Find yourself another prayer center. We're counting on you. Ringing hands is not the methodology. Know something. Come down on the side of right, because after 120 years, 
you will be asked. And what will your answer be? I did nothing. Where are my rewards? Look into the faces and the eyes of your children and know why you were put in this world. You don't have to look any further than that. Saw a beautiful video this week. Let's just look at the clock here. Oh, <laughs> I've gotten to page two in my notes. Call the Kavod, Andrea. Um, there is a phenomenon. I'm going to, of course, ad lib, but I need to share. It was a video. I took notes, but, uh, and I don't even know. If you know who this guy is, do me a favor. Send me his name, Andrea, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. But the point behind it is... Um, what? Oh my gosh! I can't now. I can't remember the word. The my producer will come in and tell me. You know, it's the whole idea of uh, what do we say? Um, comparable force. Um, um, what is the word that they use? Help me! Help me! Uh, equitable. You know, the equitable. Are we using proportional? Thank you. Thank you, holy producer. Proportionate. You know, there's a phenomenon that's every day. I need to share this with you. And people start to compare the statistics. And, and this is a very, very, this is a very common uh, tactic. So I'm going to give you some notes on this. And if you want, I will actually, they're all, uh, there's a lot of misspellings in what I did. I made a lot of typos, but I will literally pick it up, copy and paste it and send it to you, what I'm about to share with you. People like to compare the statistics about dead Palestinians, and we're using that word. It doesn't exist, but that is the word that the media is using, okay? And I'm not going to lambaste Arabs around the world. I don't know all the Arabs around the world, but I know that there are those that are, you know, rallying under a sign called Palestine. And they, um, the dead Palestinians and Israelis, in order to convince you, my friends, my dear listeners, those who purport to be friends of Israel, that one side is more moral than the other. Don't we like that word, morality? Well, let's first get started. The most moral army in the world, and I speak from personal experience because I like to think that I am the moral mother of a moral soldier. This isn't an intellectual exercise. Every Israeli listening in this, this morning live and listening in on podcast has a boy or a girl either in uniform in national service has a niece a nephew a husband a father protecting our holy borders we don't do we don't do the ivy league intellectual exercises we live it we sweat it and indeed we bleed it so they want to convince you that there's equality in the morality. And it's very effective because the big numbers, it makes you feel emotional. How many dead? You know, it comes to the morality of war. What matters is not the statistics. What matters is context. What matters is the intent and the action. So here, this video, which I absolutely adored, okay, it came with a little bit of political correctness, letting us know, we don't blame all the Arabs, and we don't blame, and blah, blah, blah. There are innocent civilians. I'm not going to bore you with that. Those days are over for now. You know, in World War II, the Allies in Germany, 
They traded airstrikes back and forth. How many British civilians died? You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but according to the statistics, approximately 40,000. While in Germany, it was half a million. In the entire course of the world, of the war itself, between six and eight million Germans were killed, while in the UK and America combined, they lost, in quotes, see my little quotation marks and fingers, only 870,000. Way more Germans were killed. Well, by the standards of how you're judging our actions in Aza, apparently Germany was the victim. 70,000 Ukrainians have been killed in the war, launched by, good morning, Russia. On the Russian side, it's about 120,000. More Russians died. Are the Russians the victims? So anybody with a teaspoon of intellect will understand why neither Germany nor Russia are the victims. Because you, me, we understand intent. We understand the action. We understand the drive. Launching brutal barbary intended to kill innocent victims. Now imagine if the Russian goal was to kill as many Ukrainians as possible, take over every inch of Ukrainian territory, imagine instead of building military bases, Russia launched rockets from residential buildings. Imagine if they hid their mortars, their rockets, all of their ammo in churches, schools, markets. Imagine if they built tunnels in civilian neighborhoods on the border of Ukraine with the express intention of kidnapping, maiming, killing as many, as many Ukrainians as possible. Um, anybody scratching their head and saying, where is she going with this? Well, what do you expect Ukraine to do? Should they sit on their hands? Accept years and years of constant attacks? Should they do nothing to protect themselves? Should they allow Russia to keep building up its weapons stockpile, knowing that those weapons are going to be used to destroy them? Maybe the Ukraine should stop defending itself when the casualty numbers are, ooh, they're equal. Wait until Russia kills more before we can resume their self-defense. Ding, ding, light bulb. This is the impossible choice that Hamas has forced upon Israel. Moral equivalency? Thank goodness I haven't eaten yet. Billions of dollars of your tax money your aid money. And they took that money and they spent it on rockets and guns and tunnels. Israel. We invested in early warning systems. We reinforced bus stops, shelters. We created the Iron Dome and not just that. We put it away from our civilian centers in a very tiny country. No, Hamas built and they reinforced their tunnels to protect who? Their leadership, their money-grabbing leech leadership while leaving the populace with absolutely no protection. 
Hamas trains child soldiers while Israel reinforces its schools and classrooms. Disparity in death tolls? Yeah, that's it. I beg you, beg you, do not be bullied into not seeing the full, the full picture. In fact, oh, this week alone, we permitted fuel to enter Gaza. What the hell do you think it's going to be used for? Cooking? Lights? Road maintenance? It will be used by Hamas to kill Jews. And you know, once again, I love it off script, what I meant to tell you last week. Let's talk a little bit about who they killed, who they butchered. And I'm not going to say names because I don't know them. I didn't know those individuals, but you know what? That was my loss. When you kill a Jew living in those border communities of holy Israel, you're killing future educators future world thinkers, future moral compasses, future physicians and nurses and scientists. Because we believe in bettering the world. There used to be a joke. I remember a joke years ago when a Jewish boy becomes a truck driver when his brother and sister are physicians and lawyers and politicians and, 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 and world shifters, the Jewish mother says, oh, yes. And my son is an automotive engineer. It's, it's, it's not even Jewish to project mediocrity and worth on our children. They destroyed those that would have, could have, and thought themselves should have bettered the lives of the Palestinians in Gaza. But what do you do when you are a zero-sum mentality of a people? There's so much fun stuff to talk about. 150 Haredi men were drafted this week. Haredi men drafted into the IDF. And with thousands expected to follow, a new matchmaking service has begun to match up some of our holy, gorgeous, driven, moral soldiers with civilian population who loves them. I know myself, my son came, he had a 24-hour break from the war. They let him go home for 24 hours and they let other boys have another 24 hours, boys and girls. Um, and sadly, we were excited, but it was because they know they're now in for a long, long haul. And my son said to me then, before the news came out, Mom, wait till you hear about the power of the Israeli women soldiers a woman's division took out over a hundred mechablim, over a hundred terrorists, women, 
yeah, tell that to the uh, NYU lesbian society that would see them. Um, women soldiers, they're incredible. Okay, we're not going to read about that. Too sad. Tutti of the squad of female IDF combat troops eliminated 100 Hamas terrorists. Unbelievable. My friends, come down on the side of right. Come down on the side of morality. We're going to talk a little bit of equivalent Parsha. It's crazy. And if any of you still question the relevancy, took me a while to come up with that word this morning, the relevancy of Torah, of the Torah portion, as juxtaposed to world events, I must share with you. Hold on, I'm just looking here. Um, ba, 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 ba. Yeah, okay, I'm just looking to see where I had written this down. Oh, give me a second. Oh, give me a second, looking for this one thing. All right, can't find what I wanted. Oh, I see what I wanted to read to you. It's in here. I'm actually going to read from my phone this morning. Okay, before we go on. All right. So, oh, yeah, here it is. All right. So, this week's portion. My gosh, how did we open up the program today? Lech lecha. Lech lecha. Go to yourself. What do you mean, go to myself? We are implored this week, just like Avraham, the father of our peoples, was told to leave his father's house, to leave his land. And to go to himself. Perhaps it's a late 60s version of, hey man, find yourself. But let's not, let's not dilute it. The renowned journalist, teacher, raconteur, Sivan Rachav Meir, says this week, why do we call our mothers? This, I was reminded of her, her, her little talk this week because somebody sent me a cartoon of Hamas. Freedom fighter? Should we call him a freedom fighter? Calling his mother in the cartoon. He's bragging, hey, mom, I killed 10 Jews. And it's side by side with a holy soldier of Israel calling his mother and saying, Hey, mom, I saved 10 lives. Moral equivalency? So Sivan Rachav Meir asks us this week, why do we call our mothers? And understand this is a translation, so I'm going to try my best. So it says, generally speaking, children call their mothers in order to say they got an outstanding grade on a test, that sometimes good or important things happen to them. In a recording that was aired by the State of Israel yesterday, an Arab terrorist calls his parents in Gaza with excitement and celebration in his voice to announce that he has killed Jews. Your son is a hero, he says to his mother, telling her again and again that he had sent her pictures on WhatsApp from Kibbutz Miflasim. 
Rahav Meir says she's not about to describe the ruthless acts that took place there or the horrific pictures, but she only wishes to mention the truth that this terrorist revealed in saying, I killed 10 Jews. He didn't say right wing, left wing. Uh, uh, let me just look here. I lost. I'm getting all excited here. Ashkenazi, Sephardic. He didn't check their ballots in the last election. He didn't care if his victim was a secular Jew from Kibbutz Beiri or a bearded national religious Jew from Kerem Shalom or an old Haredi Jew from Ofakim. I killed 10 Jews, he gloats. In this week's Torah portion of Lech Lecha, Avraham Avinu, our father Abraham, he appears for the first time on the world stage. He's the first Jew and the first of his people to arrive in the land of Israel, and he receives a promise. This is where you perk up your ears that his children will be a nation with tremendous role to play in world history. Avraham's journey is our common journey until today and including today. Sometimes it's our enemies who remind us that we got a little confused along the way forgetting the simple truth that we are all part of the Jewish nation who share a common history. Just a minute as we try to get Andrea back. Okay, we're trying to get Andrea back. Stay with us. Okay, hi, Andrea. Um, oh, a lot of uh, connectability. Maybe it's war. Who knows? A lot of connectability issues. Not sure where we were holding in talking about the Sivad Rahav Mayor um, post. But uh, just to just to uh, reiterate before I go on into talking about what Rabbi Wine speaks about this week. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, Sivan Rahav Meir talks about how Jews, what we do, who we save. What is our contribution to the world? And there is not a soldier, not a precious chayal, who is not being coached daily by not just rabbis, but by military leaders, by psychologists, by psychiatrists, and world-class thinkers to remind them of the holy mission of a Jewish soldier. And again, these... Arab murderers, these bloodthirsty bastards that ripped apart the bodies, never the soul, of Am Yisrael. And when they said, I killed 10 Jews, they, did, they were just Jews. Didn't matter if you're religious or not religious, Shomer Shabbos, not Shomer Shabbos, Sephardic, Ashkenazi, bearded, clean-shaven, tattooed, pierced, nothing. I killed 10 Jews. You know, Lech Lecha, Avraham Avinu, and if I'm repeating, just stick with me. Our father Abraham appears, and he's the first Jew and the first of his people to come to the land of Israel, and he receives the promise, the promise that I remember today, and the promise that you must remember during your darkest, most despondent moments, and that is we are a nation with a tremendous role to play on the world stage and in world history. The journey of Avraham is a common journey until today. It's our enemies who are reminding us of our role and that maybe we got confused. 
but whether you are a Jew or a non-Jew, we all are sharing in this common history and destiny. So Rabbi Wine then goes on to ask, why is, why is Abraham so special? The Torah doesn't grant him you know, the same titles that he gave Noah when Noah was building the ark. Abraham, he was willing to die on behalf of his belief in one God. He was willing to go into the furnace at Or el-Kazdim. And it becomes such a famous part that it's even referred to as just Or. And we're supposed to get it. Oy vavoy, Or. So why is he the father of many nations and generations and the spiritual ancestor and guide to so many millions in the world, even 35 centuries after he died? So the rabbis of Mishnah Avot have long ago revealed the answer to this. They stated that our father Avraham was sorely tested in life and the creator 10 times. And each time he rose greater from the experience. The resilience of Avraham is what makes him who he is even today, 3,500 years later. You know, to a great extent, we all pray that we not be tested too often or too severely in our lives. Sound familiar, my fellow Israelis? And yet simply being a Jew and not deserting the cause of the Jewish people at the time of need, as we talked about at the beginning of the program, you are not not being tested. This is a time of significant commitment. You know, maybe the Torah didn't choose to stress the test of Or Kazdim in its text, you know, the going into the furnace, but it does tell us in painful detail the betrayal of Avraham and his values and the lifestyle by his ungrateful nephew, Lot. How does somebody deal with the disappointment of being disappointed with those who are supposed to be on your team? And yet Avraham goes to war to save Lot and his wealth. And it is because of Avraham alone that Lot apparently undeservedly survives the destruction of Sodom. Take a minute. Hear what I'm saying. Avraham's son, Yishmael, behaves like a wild beast in human garb. Parents might be helpless and even blameless regarding the behavior of their adult children, according to Rabbi Wine. But the hurt that those children can inflict upon their parents with their behavior is immeasurable. But Abraham doesn't waver. And at the end of his life, he lives to see the repentance of that Yishmael. It is the unwavering courage and tenacity of Avraham Avinu in the face of all of his defeats, his hearsts, his hostile enemies and phony friends that impress us about our father who we are called upon to emulate. It's the strength of constantly renewing resilience, the legacy that he has bestowed upon us, the Jewish people, his generations.
and his descendants. At the beginning of this week's Parsha, Torah portion, God promises Abraham seven blessings if he leaves his father's house and he follows his ways. The fourth blessing, very interesting. It says, and it will be a blessing to you. So the rabbis and the commentators, they offer a lot of explanations as to the meaning of this bracha. Stay with me. There's one beautiful explanation that's brought down. That's often that when a man achieves fame and wealth, he kind of distances himself from his family and friends, feeling it's beneath him to continue to associate with or even to help his less fortunate brethren and friends. And as a result, people become jealous of him. They dislike him. They curse him. They evil give him what we call the ayin hara, the evil eye. The blessing that God bestows upon Avraham is designed to counteract these human emotions because after Avraham becomes a great nation, he achieves wealth and a great name, that first of his three brachas, blessings, he's going to continue to have humility, to be a good person, and to give tzedakah. Only then will the first of the three blessings be true blessings, since it's the people, they're going to love him and be happy for him. But there's a second explanation of it will be a blessing to you. Um, God says to Abraham, Become a blessing to me by your deep understanding of my ways, whereby you will acquire perfection and teach knowledge of God to the people. The Da'at Zekinim, um, it's the laws of, our, of the elders. It strengthens this explanation by adding that the word V'yeh is a conjunction of the commandment that Abraham teach the knowledge of God to the people. Now, the obvious question is, and just stay with me on this, is how this is a blessing to Abraham. What benefit is he to gain from spreading the glory of God's name? Of course, it's important to bring honor to his name, but how is it a blessing to Abraham himself? The question's even more profound because later... In the Torah portion, I think it's in two portions from now, Toldot, when Yitzchak, Isaac, tells Yaakov, Jacob, to go to Padanaram to find a wife, the former blesses his son, saying, and may God give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your children. Which blessing is, what blessing is the Torah talking about? His answer is, and it will be a blessing to you. To really appreciate this and the greatness of Abraham and his special midah, his trait of chesed, loving kindness. Our rabbis teach us that Abraham was the personification of chesed, kindness. When, why then is he so identified with that quality? And don't we need to know more about Chesed? Oh my gosh, it's getting very noisy outside. There's actually army tanks going by. God bless them. I'm just shutting our studio window. <laughs> Go in strength, my holy soldiers. Go in strength. Um, we learn that Abraham is the first to come to that recognition of the concept of one God. 
and to therefore reject idol worship. You know, we all know that famous midrash of um, Abraham smashing all of his father's idols. We know it. He smashed the idols except for the biggest, and then he puts a big club in the hand of saying that uh, it was the big one who described the lesser ones. He demonstrates to his father the stupidity of idol worship. In addition, we also recall the story of that fiery furnace and Abraham's battles with Nimrod, all based upon his open contempt and disdain for idol worship. And please, let's not get stuck when we hear idol worship and think about big pestles, statues at the Israel Museum or in front of churches or in town squares. There are much more insidious versions of idols in front of us and in our in our cell phone pockets every single day. The rabbis go further and teach us that Avraham Avinu did not stop the recognition of one God as the creator of the universe. Avraham examines the beauty and the wisdom of creation and recognizes the tremendous chesed that's inherent in it. And he realizes that God did not create the word for his own benefit, his own reward, but simply for the chesed, which is the very nature and essence of God. Abraham understood that this was the way of God and he must follow and emulate Hashem to recognize that he was created B'Tselem Elohim in his shadow, in his image and do chesed for its own sake. This is the knowledge of God that Abraham brought into the world. This world, today's world, October 26, 2023, the 20th day of the, war, of the war, not only by his words alone, but by his deeds. In the Torah portions of Lecha, Vayera, Chaya Sarah, it abounds with illustrations, examples of the loving kindness of Abraham and the human excellence he achieved without any consideration for personal reward or benefit. And this is why Abraham is the personification of the midah, the trait of chesed. Because through his knowledge and understanding of God's ways, he came to practice chesed in the most noble and selfless way. In finishing today's program, what can I not pray for you that I do not pray for myself? What can I not pray for your nation, your home, your family that I do not wish for my own nation, home, and family? May God bless all of us with safety, with wisdom, with merit, and with the emotional, spiritual, and moral strength to stand up for what is right, just like Avraham Avinu. May God bless Israel, protect her borders, 
protect her holy people. And this morning, keep her soldiers safe. May this conflict end soon, decisively, and without any more loss of holy Jewish Israeli life. Shabbat Shalom, Umivorach from Jerusalem. <laughs>